Good morning, church. Fifi here. Really, really good to be with you again, um, especially in this Exodus series. I'm going to be doing part five of the Exodus series with a message called Ten Times Mercy. Last week, Pastor Carol shared a, a message about the life of Moses and uh, it was about the reluctant leader. It was really a message about how God can still use you despite all your objections, all your um, weaknesses. God can still do great things through your life. So let me just pray and let's get into today's message. Father, thank you that your promises that you speak to us, that you love your people so much. And because you love us, you speak to us. So this morning, I pray that you would work in our hearts. I pray that you would make yourself glorious in our eyes, that we would see just how good you are. Amen. So like I mentioned, I'm going to be sharing a message called 10 Times Mercy. You may have heard this quote by A.W. Tozer, where he says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And it really is. Have you noticed that everybody, well, almost everybody, has an opinion about what God is like? Whether it's an unbeliever or a believer, often you'll hear things like this. I can't believe in a God who can do X, Y, and Z. And then you'll hear this. But what I but what I think God is like is X. Or I think God is like, to me, God is like as if God were some school kid or some politician looking for suggestions about how he should behave or what he should be like. You know what we need most is we need to receive God on his own terms. We need to allow God to be God. It's not so much important what we think God should be like or how we feel God should be, but who God says he is. And sometimes we just need to look and allow who God says he is to impact our minds and our hearts. And I hope to do that in this message today. So I'm going to be sharing from Exodus 5 and then breaking down a couple of chapters where it speaks about the plagues. So let's dive right in. Exodus 5, starting from verse 1 to verse 4. And this sets up a confrontation between Pharaoh, Egypt, and the God of the universe. So Exodus 5 reads like this. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. Get back to your burdens. So I wonder if you hear those words that Pharaoh utters. And this is really, everything in this message is almost a response to what Pharaoh said. Specifically, chapter, I mean, verse 2, where Pharaoh says, 
Who is the Lord that I shall obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. And this is Pharaoh pretty much going, look, you can have whatever gods you want. Because at that time in, in, in Egypt, there were many, many gods. And Pharaoh wouldn't have had an issue with the fact that the Israelites had their own god. But what he had an issue with was a god who would come and tell him, Pharaoh, how he should be and what he should do. And so Pharaoh is immediately drawing a line in the sand and he's making a confrontation and he's saying, I won't obey this God. Who is this? Who is this God? And he's like, he's thinking this God of these miserable Hebrews who I'm oppressing is now trying to come into my space to tell me what I should do. And Pharaoh is biting up more than he could chew because this is a setup and God is about to show who he is. He's about to reveal himself. You know, God loves to reveal himself. God is incredible and Anytime we ask, God, show us yourself. He loves to show himself because that's what transforms us. So God, on the public stage, before Egypt, before Israel, and before the, the watching nations, this is, this is not just a private thing, kind of like done in a church somewhere, done in some temple somewhere. This is done on the grand scale so that all the world can see who the true God is and what he is like. And he's about to demonstrate who he is. So this is a summary of what happens. Pharaoh goes, let the people go. Who's going to make me? And so God sends Aaron and Moses as representatives on his behalf to perform these 10 plagues, these 10 signs that God is greater than Pharaoh. And what I want you to know from these, as I get into these plagues, is they were not just judgment on Pharaoh and on Egypt. They were judgment on all of the gods of Egypt. You see, the whole of Egyptian life was controlled by this idea that there were these gods who affected everything, whether it was the Nile, whether it was fertility, relationships, um, the harvest all of Egyptian life, they had gods behind it. And God was about to show the powerlessness of the gods of Egypt. So first there was a plague on the Nile, where the Nile was turned to blood. Then frogs, teeming frogs, filled all of Egypt. They, the Bible describes as being piled high. And there's, there's all these frogs and they, they die and there's rotting smell of, of rotten frogs and then gnats. We don't quite know exactly which type of small, but they were small, probably biting insects. And they were, they were, they came from the dust and they were like, they covered everything. And then there were flies. Um, there was a plague of flies and one or two flies even are horribly irritating. But can you just imagine flies everywhere on man, on beast, everywhere. Um, so then there was a plague of, of flies. Then there was the livestock being struck down. And there's this escalation. As you can see, the, the plagues are getting worse and worse. First, there's you know, judgment on, on the Nile, on the water. And then there's judgment on the land. And you're about to see judgment in the, in the skies or the air. And... Um, from the livestock, then there's a plague of boils where Moses and Aaron tossed up dust and it results in painful boils 
breaking out on the Egyptians. Um, and then we've got lightning, thunder, and hail, huge hail, um, killing everything like livestock, um, shredding the crops in the fields, anything that was out. A plague of locusts. Then this builds up to, to the ninth plague where there's darkness for three full days. You can't see anything. Complete darkness. And then finally, the worst and the, the most painful plague. And, and after this, Pharaoh is forced to just let the, the people go. And so the firstborn son of every household in Egypt dies. Horrible, horrible plague. Um, and at that point, Pharaoh goes, okay. And he lets the people go. But, but there are a couple of things to say about, about, about what happened there. And one of them is that each of them was, each plague was specifically directed at a particular god in Egypt. So, for example, the plague on the Nile, the Egyptians believed that Happy was the god of the Nile. And so when the Nile flooded, they would, they would see it as the, the emergence of Happy. And you see, all of Egypt was dependent on the Nile. They depended on it for for transport, for their crops, because the, the, the Nile would flood and the valley would be fertile and watered and they would grow crops and and they drank water from it and they needed it for all sorts of things. And so this was at the center of Egyptian life. And even as God was judging Egypt, he was judging happy. And, and there was a sense in which as the Nile turned to blood, God was saying, okay, Happy is so powerful. Um, do something. Do something. And I was just showing the, the powerlessness, showing who the true God was, who was actually God of creation. And, and the plagues start out relatively minor and they escalate and they escalate and they get worse and worse. And at each moment, at each plague, there's an opportunity. And they, Pharaoh and Moses go in and say, this plague is about to happen, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh wouldn't listen, and then the plague would happen. And then what would happen is Pharaoh would go, Oh, oh, please. And he would, he would just ask them, Please pray to your God that, that he would remove this plague. But Pharaoh was consistently would go back on his word, and he would scheme and pretend. But each time, Pharaoh would, the scriptures say, Pharaoh would harden his heart. And eventually, at some point, Pharaoh's heart becomes so hard that he's completely unresponsive. And, and from there, you know that Pharaoh is about to be completely, completely, completely humiliated, um, stripped. And it ends in the final death of the firstborn. So that's, that's roughly the story of what happens. And so what do we, what is the message? What does it teach us? Remember I said this is a message about who God is. It's an, it's an answer to that question. Who is this God that he, that I should let the people go? And so in the hearts of all of Israel, all of Egypt and in the nations, we're seeing the powerlessness of the Egyptian gods. We're seeing the fact that the Egyptian god Ra, who was the sun god, was powerless, stripped and unable to bring the sun light in those three days when the darkness was over the earth. 
And the final plague was a judgment on Pharaoh himself. You see, the Egyptians believed that Pharaoh was a god, that he was a mediator between the gods and human beings. And so with the judgment on the firstborn, it was judgment on Pharaoh himself as that god. Couldn't bring resurrection. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't preserve the life of his son. So what do we learn about God? This is a message, like I said, all about God. Here's the first thing that we learn. He's a God of mercy. God full of mercy. And you might be like, God full of mercy. We've, we've just been talking about plagues, horrible plagues. And, and when we think about them, when we allow the thought of what it would have been like to enter our hearts, we, we, it's hard to think about mercy. But here's, here's the thing. Mercy doesn't always look like what we think. We need to take God on God's own terms. And there's incredible mercy in this passage. The first thing I would say is this. At each moment, there's an escalation of the plagues. And God could have, in a moment, just wiped out Egypt, wiped out Pharaoh, because he was perfectly justified. The stubborn man who was oppressing the Israelites and wouldn't listen. But yet, God, at each moment, offers the plague. And, 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 and his, the plague is almost like a pleading hand. It's almost like, here's mercy. Here's mercy. You see, God, God loves to show mercy. Even with the stubborn and the rebellious, he's, he says, listen, listen. And, and it shouldn't, what, should, what should surprise us? It's not the judgment of God on prayer, but the fact that mercy lasted so long in the midst of the deceptive, evil heart of Pharaoh. God's mercy is shown by the fact that the plagues escalated and each moment was an opportunity to receive the mercy of God. The other thing is this. Every time God shows us the powerlessness of the things we trust in. The powerlessness of the stuff we can build our lives on. It's mercy. You know, my, my dad, is it's what I call a happy, sad story. And uh, my dad died, I think it was a year ago. October. Yes, it's about, about this time, a year ago. And uh, the last 24 years of my dad's life, agony. You see, what happened was my dad lived what I could only call a relatively unrighteous life. You know, he, so much of his life was controlled by the wrong things. And so at the age of, of 48, my, my, my father had a series of strokes, debilitated him and he lost his speech. He lost function of half of his body. He couldn't work. And in large part, his body never recovered fully. And so he lost all his friends. His friends were all drinking buddies and, and they, they appeared for a short time at, uh, at the hospital, but eventually they all abandoned him. And so the last 20-something years of my dad's life was spent in, a, in what I would call a, a, a steady depression where he sat on the couch, stripped of all that he had, and he flicked through the TV screen when he could concentrate. But that was his life. That was the full totality of his life. 
a shell of a man that he used to be. You look at that life and it was, it was sad. It was painful to watch. But there was an incredible thing happened about a, a year and a half before his death. I was, I was driving with my dad and my dad didn't say much. He couldn't speak well. But he said to me, looking back and thinking about his life, he said, Fifi, I haven't always lived a good life. In fact, I haven't lived a good life. But you know what? I trust my Jesus with my life. I know he will receive me. And in that moment, my heart, a burden was lifted off my heart and, and I knew my dad had somehow fallen upon the mercy of God. And like I mentioned, he died about a year and a half later. And I remember sharing this story at his memorial service. And looking back, I, I looked out in the crowd as I was sharing the story. And, and something bothered me. In the crowd were a lot of professors, a lot of well-to-do people dressed to the nines some of his friends, and, but a lot of acquaintances. And, and I looked in their eyes and what I saw, and I'm not a judge, I, I can't judge people's hearts, but, but the general sense was disinterest. Disinterest. I'm just here. Why are you talking about this now? And generally the message and the gospel, and they seemed rather uninterested. And, and they came to me afterwards and, and I chatted and there was, there was a lot of talk of, I'm Professor this, I'm Professor that. And I wondered this thought. I wondered if they saw with absolute clarity that their Professor this meant nothing, that their, their wealth, their status, all these other things meant absolutely nothing in the long term. What would they give to trade for my dad's broken shambles of a life? all that they had. You see, it's always mercy. It's always mercy when God shows us, demonstrates to us the powerlessness of our idols, the powerlessness of the things we trust in to give us what they claim to bring. It was mercy to the people of Israel. That's clear for us to see that, that God showed mercy to Israel in the midst of Egypt. You see, the scriptures say that there was a distinction, that whilst all these plagues were happening on Egypt, the Israelites escaped all these plagues. And, and there was just this clear distinction. And, you know, God was, like I mentioned, demonstrating himself. And we, we hear the story about, about Israel being liberated by God from Egypt. And sometimes we can, we can think the wrong thing. We can think, this is about the good people versus the bad people. But the scriptures don't show that. The scriptures show God saying to Israel, you know, I didn't choose you because you were better than the nations, because you were more numerous than the nations, but rather I chose you because of me, because of my love. And so what was meant to happen was all of Egypt, all of Israel was actually also getting an upgrade on who God was. He was answering and he was saying, I'm a God of mercy. And he was showing them and he was, they, they would look and they would see this is happening to Egypt and they would see the plagues. I can imagine mothers watching and, and seeing the weeping of the Egyptian mothers with their dead children. 
and wondering and hearing this wailing and wondering and thinking, how did I escape? And holding their child in their arms and thinking, I can't believe I escaped that. And their hearts were meant to melt at the mercy of God. I, I wonder, are you surprised by the mercy of God to you that you're not going to hell, you're not going to suffer in, 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 in hell for eternity? Are you surprised by the fact that you get to be called the child of God, that you get friendship with God? Are you surprised by the fact that the blessing of God rests on you? You should be. You know, in, the, in, in my best times, that, that is clear to me that but, you know, I didn't go seeking God. God came and found me. And, and the distinction between me and someone who doesn't know him is clearly the mercy of God to me. Mercy works in our hearts. Before I get to mercy, the last thing I would say about this is it wasn't only mercy to the children of Israel, but it was mercy to the Egyptians. You see, the scriptures say, as the Israelites were coming out in, in, in chapter 12 of Exodus, it describes some a mixed multitude, so some Egyptians and some people from the nations also came up with them. And they would have looked and they would have gone, okay, my world is falling apart. But the but look at their lives. Look at how the blessing and the mercy of God is on the, the Israelites' households. I'm going to join them. And here's their idea that the, the mercy of God should be should cause people to flock to the church. When people see the mercy of God on us, it should be an evangelistic thing. It should, it should cause their hearts to run and go, I want to be one of them. It should soften our hearts so that we, we don't think I deserve this, but we think, I can't believe how good God has been to me. Three things that you should do. How do you know if you've caught the mercy of God? One, you'll share it. You see, when you receive mercy, your heart goes, I need to share this. The other thing is, it will, it will cause a great humility, like I've just mentioned. And lastly, it will cause us to love God in a way we would never have. You know, Jesus put it this way, he who has, he who has been forgiven much, loves much. Perhaps have you found that your passion and your, your desire for God has been waning a little bit? Or you find yourself going through the motions and you know something that will create a burning, blazing passion for God in your heart is a true understanding of the merciful God and the mercy you and I have received in Christ. But there's not only mercy. Something that we are less comfortable with is the God of justice or judgment. When we look at this, at this passage, one thing we'll notice here is it speaks a lot about Pharaoh's heart. Read the passage and you'll notice Pharaoh's heart is mentioned so often with these words. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. And Pharaoh's heart is shown as being getting harder and harder, consistently harder. And what it's meant to make us see is this. God's mercy comes to the repentant, 
to people who will plead and say, God, show me mercy. When we come to God on his terms and we say, God, here I am. And we surrender. But Pharaoh's heart was exactly the opposite. Pharaoh kept half-heartedly going, okay, 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 okay. And he would, he would say, but, but if you do this, I, 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 of course I'll let the people go. But, but this, and he would barter and he'd pretend. But at the end of the day, as soon as the consequences were lifted, Pharaoh would go back to being stubborn and rebellious and defiant. And it seems strangely odd that he would, in the midst of all these plagues, still his heart was hard. And you know, it speaks not only about Pharaoh's heart, but the heart of human beings in general. Your heart, my heart, apart from the grace of God, is often we promise much and we think that somehow we will escape the consequences. And, and as soon as the consequences are lifted, we tend to fall back and think, oh, you know, maybe I can get away with X, Y, and Z. There's a passage of scripture where, which I find very sobering, and it's, it's a passage about Esau. And it says, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he found no room for repentance. You know what happens in this story is that with the first nine plagues, you know, there's a warning. If you don't listen, Pharaoh, this plague will happen. But the 10th plague, what actually happens is there's just an announcement. Why doesn't Moses actually, why doesn't he, why doesn't he say to Pharaoh, if you don't, this is going to happen. He just announces the firstborn son. Will die. Here's the point, and it's a sobering truth. At some point, as long-suffering as God is, and he's merciful, when God describes himself, he says, I'm a God full of mercy. There's a time when he passes before Moses, and he, the, the, most of his description is mercy, 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 but then he says, but by no means acquitting the guilty. And so what it means is at some point, a point we don't know. Pharaoh didn't know when that moment would happen. We don't know when, when the grace of God runs out. And all that's left is an expectation of judgment. And the judgment of God is something not ever to be desired. Oh, it says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so... There's a warning here about the fact that God is a God of justice. You know, what, justice and judgment. We don't like to talk about the wrath of God, but it's who God is. And you know what we need to do with this idea? If we're uncomfortable with the idea of hell, of judgment, of a God who judges. You know, when you, when you read this story about the plagues, you, yeah, part of you wants to go, surely it was, it was just metaphorical. But it really happened. God has the power over life and death. That's our God. And, and we need to not try to just reconcile it in our hearts. We need to receive God for who he is on his own terms. Not, not jettison the idea that there is an eternal hell for those who will not receive the mercy of God. You see, what we need in the church at this moment as well and in our lives is the sober reality that God is who he said he is. 
He's a God of mercy, but he's also a God of justice and judgment. Do you know that Jesus Christ, the picture of mercy and kindness, lost people, the worst of sinners, flocked to Jesus. They flocked to him. But no one talked about hell more than Jesus Christ. It isn't, it isn't the, the fire and brimstone prophets of the Old Testament. It was merciful, kind Jesus Christ himself. So we, we, we need to plead with each other, with ourselves. We need to plead with our lost family and friends and, and not, not try to conceal the reality of resisting the mercy of God. Because you see, Jesus spoke about hell so much because it was a season of mercy as Jesus walked the earth. But he knew that mercy isn't forever. The mercy of God, though long, though full, though overflowing, for those who harden their hearts, there's not mercy, but justice and judgment. Friends, as I as I end this, I'm acutely, acutely aware of my own weaknesses. You know, very often, I forget the fact that God's mercy to me is completely not based on me. It's not a reward for anything. It is completely from Him. I don't deserve the mercy of God, and that's mercy. And so my heart can sometimes become hard, and I can be judgmental of others, I can look down on others, I can lose the wonder that causes me to be full of passion for God, that causes me to share the gospel, that, that causes me to love him, to love the, the world. I can do that. That sometimes is in my heart. Sometimes I can really try, try the, the patience of God and I find myself certain sins um, forgetting who it is and, 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 and being very Pharaoh-like in my heart sometimes. And a message like this can come across, I can feel despair sometimes hearing it. But I want to end off not with Pharaoh's heart, not with the Israelites' hearts, not with my heart, or even your heart, but the heart of one who carried both the mercy and the justice of God in a beautiful package, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as I end, what the picture that I want you to keep in your mind, you see, it's sometimes hard to keep this theoretical picture of the justice and the mercy of God, and sometimes it's not real to our hearts, but but Jesus Christ says, come to him. The scriptures say this, it says, looking onto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You see, as we look at Jesus, we look at the cross. As we think of the message of the gospel, we remember a few things in this as a way to keep our hearts in the place that they should be. To keep the picture of God before us is, is to remember this. To remember Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross. The reason why that is so powerful is as we see Jesus on the cross, we, we think about his 
suffering body, writhing in pain on the cross for us. We remember this. The mercy of God was costly. And if God would give his son that he loved for us, his mercy is deeper, far, far, far deeper than any sin, any difficulty, any situation. If we will come to him and with open hearts, the mercy of God cannot be grasped. It can only be experienced in its fullness. But here's the other thing. As we look at the cross, as we look at the life of Jesus, we also see that it reminds us that if God didn't spare his own son, that is not a small thing to try for with the God of the universe. That to harden our hearts is a dangerous, dangerous game. But here's probably the most important thing. You see, Jesus doesn't only promise us that he died for us to cover our sin, to cover our weakness, but that he shares his heart with us. You see, Jesus lived in perfect view of the heart of the Father because he carried it. He said, if you want to know what the Father is like, look at me. And he shares that heart with us. So as, as, as we look at him, as we read our Bibles and as we pray and as we draw close to him, our hearts are softened to remember mercy. And our hearts are softened. You know, the Holy Spirit, as we look at Jesus and as we talk to Jesus and as we pray and as we, as we, we, we throw ourselves on his mercy, he's able to soften our hearts. He's able to bring repentance from the hearts so that we can receive mercy and not judgment. If you're listening to this and you're not sure whether you've received the mercy of God and salvation. Pray with me as I pray right now for all of us and say, God, I throw myself on your mercy. Or if you've been testing the judgment of God, the justice of God and saying, and you've been living far from God, today is a day of mercy for all of us. So I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you that your mercy is based on who you are, not on our performance. And that mercy is for anyone who will receive it. So today, Father, we pray and we receive your mercy afresh. We remember that you're a God who shows great mercy and great kindness. And so we repent right now. We turn our hearts to you. We pray for our families. We pray for our friends. And we ask that we would receive the mercy of God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks for listening. Have an amazing, amazing week. See you soon.